So what's up, everybody? My name is Jordan. Man, so grateful that y'all are with us in person, and shout out to everybody joining us online. Every single year before we start groups, there's always two different types of people. Uh, the type of person who emails me, who texts and tweets about how excited they are about groups, and then they don't sign up. They wait until the day after group's registration closes, and then they email, hey, is it closed? Like, yes, we announced it 600 times. So please, don't be that person. Uh, we want to make sure that everybody gets in and gets in the group that they want to be in. And we're really excited and prayerful about what God is going to do in all of our lives as we deepen not just our knowledge and our learning, but our relational connectivity with one another. So we're really excited about that and those things coming up. So let me pray for us before we get into today's word. Uh, God, our Father, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to hear your word to us. Father, uh, I pray that today would be like an invitation to your dinner table, uh, a meal prepared by you. And Father, I pray that it's nourishing to our souls and sticks to our ribs. So God, bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, so I'm going to start off today by doing something I tell younger preachers to never do. I'm going to start talking about food. Now, especially at the 1130 service where people are getting hungry already, um, when I first started dating my wife, uh, we went to our favorite restaurant in the neighborhood, Melba's. Shout out to Melba's on 8th. And uh, my wife ordered her favorite meal. Her favorite meal at Melba's is the Chilean sea bass with a side of mac and cheese and some yams. Amen. Yes, Lord. I heard it. <laughs> my wife doesn't have the biggest stomach like I do. I finish all my meals and usually start eating some of hers. But she had uh, some leftovers that she made sure she was packing up to bring with her home. Now, this was BC days before COVID. And um, we were walking home talking about how great the meal was. And a young man came up to us and said, man, I am so hungry. Can you give me something to eat? I said, you know what? I have a delicious meal. Chilean sea bass, macaroni and cheese, and yams. And I took my wife's food, and I gave it to him. About 10 steps forward, I could just feel my, my wife's eyes burning on the back of my head. And I turned to her thinking she's going to say, Jordan, you are just so generous. Uh, you're so kind. She did not say any of those things. She was like, yo, why did you give away that food? Here's what I learned then, and here's what I know to be true now. It's really easy to be generous with something that's not yours. Had that been my meatloaf that I had left over, I'd have been like, listen, right, Popeye's is right there, brother. Here's, here's $3 and go get you a, a two-piece. It's really, really easy to be generous, to spend someone else's money. One of my friends years ago had a couple at his church that were just incredibly, incredibly wealthy, so wealthy, they outbid Matt Damon for their apartment on Central Park West. One night, they were going to a school fundraiser, and this was when Cronuts were all the, uh, the rave in New York City. And my friend um, was handed the paddle, the auction paddle, for the Cronuts. He looked over at them and said, well, how much should I, should I, should I bid for these box of Cronuts? I said, go crazy. So the, the bidding for the auction started, 1000 2000 He took it up to $17,000 for a box of Cronuts. Now, it was going to benefit the school, and I guess this is what really wealthy people do with their, <laughs> with their money. But my friend was able to just keep on raising the paddle because it's really easy to be generous with something that's not yours. 
If that was his money, he would have stopped at $17, not $17,000. Now, here's one of the most offensive truths in, in the Bible, if you properly understood it. The Bible says that nothing in your possession, not your money, your job, your title, your relationships, none of it belongs to you. As a matter of fact, all of it, every single thing and every single person belongs to God. Don't take my word for it. Listen to scripture. It says in Psalm 24 and 1, it says, The earth and everything in it, uh, in the world, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Paul picks up on the same theme in 1 Corinthians 10 and 26. He says, The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Now, what this leads to is a concept in the Bible, which you see in every single page, uh, baked into every single page in Scripture, is this concept of stewardship, that you and I don't own anything, but rather we are entrusted with what God owns in our hands. Here's a good definition of stewardship. Stewardship is being the process of being responsible with someone else's property while it is entrusted to you. If it's true that the earth is the Lord's and everyone in it and everything that is contained in this world, if it's true that it belongs to God, then at best, you and I are, are stewards. We are tasked with the responsibility, the obligation, and the gift to manage God's property. Now, this is really difficult for us to get. Like, when I say get, I mean not just know these things intellectually, but to really fully believe this and to live like everything that I have is not mine, but it belongs to God. This is a major, huge paradigm shift for us. Now, one of the things that we mentioned last week um, while we were talking about what it means to follow Jesus is that the process of following Jesus is not just learning new truths, but it's also unlearning a lot of things that we thought we knew. And one of the things that we need to unlearn is that the things that we have in our possession, the people that we have, we need to unlearn the belief that they are ours because they are not. Now, one of the challenges in really fully owning, believing, and living as if God is the rightful owner of everything that we are able to enjoy is something called sin. Now, when I was a Christian, first becoming a Christian, I used to just think sin was a bunch of stuff that I did that God hated. And certainly sin is that in a very uh, micro sense. But in a much bigger and broader definition, sin doesn't just affect and impact our behavior it impacts our ability to think rightly about God. So it's like a veil. It's like uh, your glasses being fogged up from wearing a mask and coming into a warmer environment where you can't see clearly. And one of the things that sin impacts is our vision and our ability to see rightly the things that we have in our possession. And what it leads to is something called greed. Greed is living with the assumption that Everything I have is all for my consumption. Now, greed is living with the assumption that everything I have, the people, the possessions that I have, they're all for my consumption. They're for me to do with them whatever I please, whatever I want to do with them. Now, one of the interesting things about life and, and generosity is if you think you own something or if you own something, it makes it that much more difficult to give it away. There's this concept called the endowment effect where they did a study and they had a lot of people just kind of like give the value of things in their home. So whether it was something like a coffee mug or whatever it was, 
if you owned it already, you valued it more highly than something that you didn't own already. And just by the fact that we think we have different things, that they are ours, it makes it more and more difficult to, to give it away, which is one of the challenges in the way that we spend our time, in the way that we spend our money, because we think they're ours. Now, let me tell you a couple of very real and honest truths. You don't have a job. And for those of you who are unemployed, you're like, thanks for rubbing it in. I, I came here depressed about that. Thank you, Jordan. You don't have a job. You have a temporary role at a company, and you are accountable for how you steward your leadership and your influence at that company. You will not be at that company for a thousand years. All of us, in the very best sense, we are all interim at whatever job that we work in. If the earth is the Lord's and everything inside of it, that means the company belongs to God. And then what your job is to do is to be a good steward of the daily interactions, the, a good steward of the relationships that exist in that company, whether you work in the bottom or at the top of the organization. Uh, a couple weeks ago, our pastor Brandon talked about faith and work, and one of the things that is most uh, profound about that concept of faith and work to me is everybody can see me standing on stage and says, well, your job is a spiritual one. But all of our jobs are spiritual in nature. There's a theologian who talked about this prayer that we pray every single day, saying when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that God, give us our daily bread. When we pray that prayer, how does God give us our daily bread? How does God answer that prayer? He answers it through the ordinary means of normal people doing normal work. There's a farmer who plants the seed, and there are people who come to harvest the grain. Then there are people who come and package and bundle everything up to take it, to take those raw materials and to take it to the baker. Then there are bakers who take all of these raw materials and raw ingredients and combine them to make bread. Then there are truckers who take this bread that has been baked and bring them to grocery stores. And then there are grocery store employees that stack the shelves and sell them to us. When we pray, God, give us our daily bread, that prayer is answered through the ordinary means going through the hands of ordinary people. God uses us to answer other people's prayers. So whether or not your job is spiritual in nature, I want us all thinking about the roles that we have as um, us being stewards of the opportunities that God has in front of us. Now, a couple of things. I don't know if you've ever had a rough day and you walk into a store, you walk into a restaurant, and someone is just really patient with you. They humanize you. They let you speak. They take their time with you. Now, that might not be a Sunday morning onstage interaction, but that is God meeting you exactly where you are. And what if we looked at our jobs we looked at the work that we are doing, not just as something that we do for our own consumption, but rather we are stewards of God's grace, that God has given us a platform and a, and a role and something to do. You know, early on as a pastor, uh, I really struggled with thinking that the people who attended Renaissance, not that you belong to me in a strict sense, but that it was like my responsibility that I was the person responsible for your spiritual growth and the connection of the church, and I, I thought way more highly of myself than I should have. Over the years, I've, I've come to realize that I am an interim pastor here at Renaissance. I hope my, my interim tenure is a long one, but one day someone else will come behind me and take this job off of my back. All of us are interim. 
None of us are that important. Everything that we do, it is at best stewarding the opportunities that God has put in front of us. And now I say, my job is to lead y'all to the shepherd. And then let him do, you and Jesus, y'all need to, he needs to work inside of you. The Holy Spirit needs to do uh, a work inside of your life. God needs to bring life out of you because I can't do that. And refreshingly, by looking at my life now, my job as a steward is actually a lot more rewarding. So none of us have jobs. We have a temporary role at a company. None of you have children. You don't have children. You have a temporary role of raising little human beings, and you are accountable for how you steward your leadership and influence in their lives. Now, for those of you who have felt the pain of losing a parent, you certainly know how painful it is to, to lose one. Um, and hopefully, for all of us who are parents and have our parents, it will be a really, really, really long temporary role in their lives. But it is temporary. I've heard that the goal of parenting is to raise your children, to raise our children from, from dependent on us to being independent, back to being dependent on God. Now, this is the one that's the most difficult for me because I have dreams and hopes for my sons. When they first were born, I would daydream about what God might do in their lives and what their lives would look like. And over the years, I found myself being the most uncomfortable when the plans and the dreams that I have for their lives are not going the course that I think they should be going. And I need to be reminded that they are not mine. They belong to the Lord. And it is my job of raising them to hear from God, to be exactly what God wants them to be, not forcing them down a path, not being so enmeshed in their lives that I'm unable to see where they stop and where I begin, but able to, uh, to, to steward my parental force and parental presence in their life. Now, you don't have time. You have uh, been given something to steward. James says it like this uh, for the people who think that your time is your own and your plans are your own. James says it like this in James 4. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like a vapor a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now, we've been in this gener generous life series, and what we've been hoping to drive home is not only do you not have a job or children or time, you also don't have money. And some of you who are struggling, you're like, I know that, Jordan. I know I don't have money. <laughs> All of us, at very best, we are stewards of God's resources given to us to be used well. We have belongings that have been entrusted to us. And all of us are going to be accountable to God for how we handle what God gave us while it was entrusted to us. Now, one of the biggest challenges about being a pastor is um, that I get to do funerals and burials. And I've never, I've never done a burial where someone has taken their money with them. Everything you have, money-wise, it's temporary. And then it's going to go to people sometimes that you like or sometimes that you don't like, and they're going to spend the money in ways that you would have never spent it. Everything that we have is temporary. And for whatever reason, we think that we own it. We think that it's like ours. 
You know, it's funny. Um, I try my best to be a non-reactive parent. One of the things that's the most difficult for me is when my kids do stuff that I think about, if I were to do that, I would not be alive today. <laughs> I'm 40 years old. In the 40 years of my existence, I have never once tried to take the remote control from my father. <laughs> but I come home, and my kids are watching Encanto, and I'm like, all right, Pastor Ro, they're like, no. And I'm like, no, whoa. And I'm having like an existential crisis. Do I fight a six-year-old because he won't let me switch from Encanto to ESPN? What do I do? And it's crazy because he don't pay Con Ed. There's not one bill in that house that has his name on it. Not one. And he's acting like he owns it. He's sitting on the couch in my spot. I have the spot where I can like lay out. He's in my spot with a remote in his hand like it's his. You know, I, I think sometimes God looks at us like that, that we're acting like we own the place. We're walking around God's house with God's possessions like it's ours, like it belongs to us, like we paid the price for any of these things. <laughs> show, this show this sermon to your kids. Hey, a couple of quick caveats before we finish today. One, I don't want us hearing this topic and thinking that I don't want it turning us to be like neurotic. Like, I don't want you at Chipotle tomorrow if they say, hey, do you want guacamole? You're like, I don't know, Lord, do I? Do I want guacamole? God has given us things in our possession, and God wants you to enjoy the things that he has given us. One of the greatest joys I have is to see my family, my Renaissance family, to see y'all enjoying stuff. It's just, it just warms my heart so much. I think God is a really good father who loves it when we enjoy the things that he has given us. So that's one big caveat. I, I don't want you thinking about your money tomorrow or your time or your resources, and I don't want it turning you just like uh, overanalyzing everything that you're doing and, and thinking about. Number two, I, I also don't want us to be thinking that uh, as we're thinking about the opportunities and the things that we have, I don't want to make, I, don't, I would never want it to make us passive in the face of injustices either. So for those of you who are at your job and there's a glass ceiling because of your gender or your skin tone or whatever the case is, I don't want you to merely accept that and just say, well, this is what it is. Uh, so I, I want us, we can do both things, eat and chew gum at the same time. Uh, walk, and chew, walk and chew at the same time. I don't even know how expression goes. So, caveats aside, I want us to look at our scripture from Matthew 25. Jesus is talking about stewardship. Fair warning, this one packs a punch. Matthew 25 and 14, Jesus says this, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. 
You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, what you have is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what Jesus is getting at here is this concept of stewardship, and there are a, a few takeaways that I want us taking home with us as soon as we leave this place today. And I hope that these are, this is a brand new paradigm that we are allowing ourselves to see the world that God has given us entrusted into our hands. You know, a lot of times when I preach a sermon, I, I want to give people answers. Uh, today, I actually want to give you a lot more questions. I want you questioning how it is that you are living as a steward with everything that God has entrusted to you. So three big takeaways that I want us thinking about. The first is that everything we have belongs to God. Everything you have belongs to God. The biggest challenge for me in really internalizing this truth is that of pride. Pride is an oversized image of self. Pride is the refusal to let God be God. It's me trying to grab God's status for myself. It's me wanting to be independent and reliant on my own resources instead of trusting that God is God. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and they that dwell therein. What would it look like if I really truly lived out of a true understanding that everything I have, every opportunity I have, it belongs to God? Now, the psalmist says like this in Psalm 10 and 4. He says, in his pride, the wicked person does not seek God. In all their thoughts, check this out, in all their thoughts, there's no room for God. Pride makes me not even consider how I'm going to spend my time and my money because there's just no room for God. There's no even room for me to consider God in how I'm spending my time, my money, how I'm parenting, how I'm uh, as, a, as a pastor in my profession. So when we don't seek God and how we handle our money, our time, or our gifts, the Bible doesn't say that we're just busy. The Bible diagnoses that as pride. And humility is the opposite of pride. And humility is saying, is putting things in the right order. It's saying, God, everything that I have belongs to you. Allow me to see today through your eyes in the right way. Inviting God into our daily moments, into our daily relationships, into our finances, into everything that we have. That's the humble response, acknowledging that we, none of these things belongs to us. Now, in this parable, it's very painfully obvious that the master owns everything and has the right to determine who gets what and how much they get. And also has the right to determine where things go 
and how things should be spent and done. May we recover the humility to understand and to remember that none of the things that we have are, are ours. Number two, everything we have is temporary. So, number one, everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have is temporary. Uh, in this parable, the, the master went away for a certain period of time, and then he returned to demand an account. Everything that you and I have is, is temporary. As a result, the call on our lives is to do what you can while you can. Every opportunity has a window. In your life right now, I'm afraid that so many people have this analysis paralysis that we end up never doing anything because we're looking for this perfect thing to do. And as a result, we're like the scared servant who, who takes God's time and God's gifts and we bury it in the ground waiting for the perfect thing, the thing with no risks. Do what you can while you can. One of the things I've been most impacted by over the years is that the guidance that I've experienced from Jesus is not something that Jesus has given me super clarity um, uh, you know, from the very beginning, but that I've started moving my feet in a, in a direction and Jesus has directed, redirected, and redirected me over and over and over again. So as you think about different opportunities in front of you, I want you to trust that Jesus is a shepherd. and He's a really good shepherd that will direct you and redirect you if you start going down the wrong path. But God wants our feet in motion. He wants us doing something. So in the case of how we spend our time, uh, you know, every Sunday we, people get on stage and they talk about we want you to serve at Renaissance. And people will spend months or years waiting for the perfect opportunity. Where do I feel my greatest gifts intersect with humankind's greatest need? That's a huge question. Can you do setup? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> you might find more opportunities and different things arise as you are in motion, but everything we have, even our time is temporary. And wouldn't it be a shame, wouldn't it be a shame if we looked up years from now and everything God has given us, we just buried in the ground and hid? So number one, everything we have belongs to God. Number two, everything we have is temporary. Number three, God entrusts things in our hands and expects us to manage them well. God entrusts money into your hands, and God expects you to manage it well. God uh, has in entrusts time into our hands, and God expects and wants us to manage it well. So for me, I, didn't, I grew up in a household of lawyers, not financial consultants, and over the years, um, I have had to learn a lot of things about finances. Freshman year in college, I was on campus. I got got just like everybody else. They were giving away those free basketball hoops for a credit card with like a 21% interest rate. <laughs> Signed up for that joint and like made $1,000 worth of purchases the first day and probably spent $5,000 paying back what I, what I did. Now, one of the things I've learned over the last couple of decades is like, Man, the money that God has given us, he wants us to manage it well. And if you're like, listen, I don't know where to start or I'm not the greatest at managing money, then we have something just for you. On March 19th, our very own Jamie Kim is leading a workshop called All About the Benjamins. Yes. And uh, we're going to learn about some ways that how do we manage our money in the way that God wants us to, in a way that's liberating uh, in a way that is, like, comprehensive and helpful. So uh, that's going to be coming out in emails. Uh, the link for that will be on our events page this week. And on social media, please sign up for that because registration is required. 
But for things that are not money, how do we manage our time and how do we manage the people in our lives? I think it requires us to be prayerful, always inviting God into our moments. See, you don't have to pray for 20, 20 minutes at a time, 30 minutes at a time, but you should never go too long without praying. Inviting God into the moments of your life, um, surrendering the moments of your life, uh, to invite God in to lead and to direct you and how you are at your job, not trying to hit somebody with a, a Jesus Jew can try to insert Jesus into a conversation, but how do you humanize? How do you bless someone at work? How do you see them? How, do you, uh, how could you be God's agent for this person uh, at your job? Constantly inviting God into our moments. But at the heart of stewardship is a matter of the heart. It's not just how you view things, but it's also how do we view God? Is God worthy of us giving everything to him? That's the million-dollar question. Is God to me valuable, precious enough that I would take what is most precious to me and trust it in his hands. One of the things that I've learned over the years is the gospel should create inside of us a gratitude, a humility, and a love for Jesus that is not just grateful for what he has done, but overwhelmed and in awe of all that it took for Jesus to come down in the flesh and to go to the cross and to take all of our sins, not so that you and Jesus can team up and you could be a slightly better person, but that Jesus can radically take us from the kingdom of, of, of sin and darkness and put us and transfer us into the kingdom of light. To see Jesus on the cross, that all he went through to bear my sin, so that as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I am separated from my sins. To really take that into place, and not because I earned it, but while I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. And check this out. The only reasonable response to a life given for you is to live with an awareness and a sense of obligation to serve in light of that sacrifice. Now, I saw this firsthand with my father and my grandmother. Um, my, my pops grew up pretty poor in Buffalo, and um, my grandmother quite literally cleaned up people's homes on her hands and knees to provide for my father, to make sure that he would have an opportunity. She dragged him to church to introduce him to Jesus. She lived her life in service of him so that he would have more opportunities, so that he would never have to do the things that she did. Now, my father was able to go to high school and college and to law school and to start his own law firm. And what do you think he did when he made it? Did he forget about his mother? What kind of son would forget about the sacrifice that was made for them? What kind of child would we be to forget about the sacrifice that was made for us? My father certainly did not forget his mother and always lived with a sense of an obligation to her because she was the one who held him down when he couldn't have done it for himself. The story of the gospel properly understood is that while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. And what that should produce inside of all of us is an awe, a gratitude, and a willingness to live our lives in service of Jesus, laying everything we have properly and appropriately back to him, saying, Lord, it's, it's all yours. And I don't want to hoard anything and hold anything, whether that's my time, my gifts, or my money. So let me pray for us and let the, allow the Lord to meet you in these moments. Uh, Heavenly Father, we have heard... Uh, many things. Lord, I pray that 
we would be unsettled in the way that you want us to be unsettled. I pray that we would be really curious this week about how we are viewing the things that you have entrusted in our hands. God, I, I'm so grateful for your grace that invites us to, that, in, that redeems the, the squandered opportunities that we've already had. Lord, would you give us fresh eyes to see how we can be better stewards tomorrow? We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you.